Um, I want to talk today about something that I believe Scripture unapologetically says that um, this is a non-negotiable for life-giving relationships. It's a non-negotiable for life-giving relationships. And if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you, please take notes. Um, don't take notes like you did in school. Um, take notes like you want to learn something. Um, you're not going to have to re-preach my message and there's no exam, but take notes today on some things that God might be speaking to you because I believe um, that God's going to speak to us through his word today. Over my time being a pastor, one of the things that God's brought to the surface for me is I've learned that there are many types of poverty. Some people today drove here in a a, a great sports car, a brand new vehicle, and they came from a a beautiful home. And financially, they're affluent. Financially, they've achieved a level of success. They're doing pretty well. Their bank account claims that they're doing pretty well. But spiritually, they're impoverished. And there's people in here today that spiritually, you you have never felt closer to God. You've never felt more dependent upon God. You have never felt like your relationship with God has, has ever been in a better position. But financially, you feel impoverished. Maybe you don't have a career right now. But I think one of the ways that is most prevalent, most people in our society are experiencing a form of poverty relationally. And sometimes we can fall into the deception that just because we have people around us that we're in good relationship and we have relationships the way that God intended for us to have relationship. But the, the, the common misconception is that because you have people around you, you're in life-giving relationship. But the Bible is going to tell us that that's not life-giving relationship at all. And so one of the most common ways that people are falling into poverty nowadays is relational poverty. We're as connected as we've ever been. At a moment's notice, you can send a text message to reach out to a friend, yet in a time of need, there's nobody to be found. And I want to encourage you, as you're going through this series talking about life-giving relationships, one of the reasons why some of you will never walk in the call that God has in your life, you'll never see the fullness of the gifts that he has in your life, is because you have a lack of life-giving relationships, and thus the Bible tells us that you are in relational poverty. And so I want to encourage you today, lean in because some of you, you're calling. Some of you, what God has in store for you is contingent upon your ability to cultivate life-giving relationships. Some of you have heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The Bible speaks very clearly of that, that the people that you surround yourself with and the people that you build into are a direct reflection of where you're going to head in the course of your life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Andrew last weekend uh, set an amazing foundation for this series, and he talked about a passage in, in Matthew 22. And this uh, passage in Matthew 22, it's Jesus having this dialogue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were the religious guys of, of this uh, day and age. They were the people that gave their lives to studying the Word of God. They gave their lives to to memorizing it. They gave their lives to living the commands perfectly, as perfectly as they could possibly live out. These guys were the religious guys. And in this dialogue in Matthew 22, they're trying to stump Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and they don't like Jesus because Jesus is claiming to be God. And this isn't the God that they were thinking was going to come. So they're trying to stump him to prove that he's not God. And after the Sadducees were stopped in their tracks by Jesus' wisdom, the Pharisees decide to question God and try to 
question him in order to make him stumble. And they said, Jesus, throughout the course of Scripture, which is the greatest commandment? And theologians will call this the golden rule. And look what Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replies to their question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. But then he goes, and the second is like it. The second is like it. Look what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, listen, the greatest commandment is that you would love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the whole group of the Pharisees inhale, and they go, good, we got that. We're living that. We've given our lives for this. We love God. Look at our life. I've dedicated it to memorizing scripture. I live in the synagogues. We pray continuously. We try to follow the commands of God meticulously. We got that. And he says, hold on. But the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what Jesus was doing is he was drawing a dividing line because there are people, not us, but there are people in this world that profess faith in Jesus Christ. They profess a religion, but they are devoid of the love that proves their religion. Jesus is going to draw a dividing line. He says, some of you profess a love for God, but then you're devoid of a love for people. You profess a love of God, but you are devoid of his love. There is a dividing line, a distinction, and Jesus said that the second is like it. And when he says the second is like it, that actually is an association that it is similar in magnitude. How could loving your neighbor be similar in magnitude to loving God? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. He doesn't associate the two because people are on the same level as Almighty God. He he associates the two because they are intrinsically connected. You cannot profess to love God and not love what he is about. Jesus was making a great distinction between the religious people of the day the way that they conduct their lives, and the lack of love that they were showing to people in their lives. The second is like it. You must love God, but loving God will always result in loving people. Today I want to talk about love from the context of scriptures. And I believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons why so many of us don't have life-giving relationships, we're living in relational poverty, is because we are lacking a certain type of love that the Bible calls out. And so today, I want to talk about love. And so to the person next to you in your best James Earl Jones impersonation, I want you to say we're talking about love. We're talking about love. Come on, make it happen. Pull out the theatrics. We're talking about love today. And I want to talk about love because within life-giving relationships, everything rises and falls on love. If you want to have life-giving relationships in your life, everything revolves around your love. If you want to be a life-giving person, everything revolves around your love. So we're going to take some time, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 John. And if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. And this passage of Scripture is going to be 
the author, and he's laying out for us a type of love that we must have if we profess to love God. There's a specific type of love that we must embody in our lives. And in 1 John 4, verses 7, he's going to give us this clear picture of love. And he says this in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. It's the starting place. It's where it originates. We didn't have a concept of love before God. God created love. Love is God. And he says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not know God, for God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Wow. And at first glance, when you're reading this passage, most of us go, okay, he says, if you, if you love, then you're from God. And here's a question for all of you. Raise your hand. Have you ever experienced love, felt love, felt love towards somebody? Raise your hand. If you felt love, you felt the emotion of love. So we're all off the hook. We all are from God. Or are we? Let's continue reading because he's going to give us a distinction of what this love really looks like. He's going, listen, if you want to know if you're from God... If you want to know if you're following the right person, lean into this type of love that he's about to say. He's going to say, if you're going to claim to love God, let me see your love. And in verse 9, he continues and he says, God showed. Everybody say showed. He showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. The Bible says that God showed his love. His love was not mere talk, but he showed, he demonstrated. His love was made visible to every single person in his life. I wonder, is your love visible to every single person in your life? And what's even more interesting is that the Bible says that God came, he sent his own son Jesus to die and to show his love so that we might have eternal life. The purpose of God's love was to give life. And it's interesting because if we're trying to learn about what it means to be life-giving, I mean, you know, it's great that we had a God that modeled a love that the purpose of it was to give life. And the the author, John, is going to say, listen, if you want to love like God, is it visible? And does it give life? God showed His love by sending Jesus. And I love verse 10. It says, this is real love. Not a fake love, not a counterfeit. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. Sacrifice. To take away our sins. This is real love. So John's going, listen, if you want to know what real love is, it's got to be visible. Can people see it? Do you just profess it or can people see it? Do you just say it, but you don't walk it out? But the thing that he says next is more interesting. He said that it is a sacrifice. You see, oftentimes most of us quit our loving of others when this word sacrifice gets interjected. Right? You ever been there? Somebody that doesn't reciprocate a love? You pour out, you encourage, you pick up the bill all the time, you're fronting the money, 
You're always open in your home, but it's never reciprocated. And the Bible's going to tell us that Jesus sacrificed his love for you and I. What John is painting a picture of is, listen, at one point you were dead, you were depraved, you were cut off from God. Everything that you did was an antithetical lifestyle to the purposes and the way of Jesus. It was the opposite. Yet the Bible said that while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. Jesus painted a picture of ultimate sacrificial love. What John's painting a picture of is he's trying to encourage people like you and I. Jesus took the cross knowing full well that the love that he was extending to you and the love that he was extending to me would never be reciprocated. It was never going to be fully honored. God was going to lay his life down. God in the flesh was going to die for you and he was going to die for me. And he knew, I'm never going to get a payoff on this. He knew that you were going to fail. The Bible says that when Jesus came to earth, he was fully God and he was fully man. That means that he knew the beginning of time from the end of time. That means that when he decided to save you, he knew that you were going to fail. How many of you would have married a spouse if you would have known that in the future they're going to have multiple affairs on you? Yet the Bible says that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. One translation says that while you were a far way off, Christ still died for you. He knew the beginning of your days, the best of your days from the worst of your days, and he still considered the cross. I wonder, does your love look like that? Will you love people if you know that it will never be reciprocated? Can you love people if you knew from the get-go that you were never going to get repaid the love that you were going to extend? Could you love people so recklessly, so fearlessly, so carelessly like Jesus? Is his love in you? Because the Bible's going to tell us that if this love isn't living and active inside of us, if we don't love like God, if we don't extend this kind of love to humanity, that you are a liar. You profess one thing, but then you live antithetically towards the things of Christ. You cannot separate a love for God and a love for his people. I wonder, is that kind of a love active inside of you? I love what he says. He goes on in verse 11. He says, dear friends... Since God has loved us that much, how much? Unconditionally. Knowing that this love was never going to be reciprocated. Since God loves us that much, surely, surely we ought to love each other. And he says this, nobody has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. He says, nobody's going to see God. Nobody has even seen him. But if you can love in this way, people will see him. And I wonder because some of us have cut off the love when it's not reciprocated. We have created conditions to our love. I'll love you if. I had a man come up to me last service and he said, man, I, I keep giving my, my, my kids money. And they're squandering it. And they're living a, a lifestyle that is antithetical to what I believe in. Am I wasting my resources? 
And I want to just tell him, no, you're not wasting your resources. Jesus gave knowing full well he was never going to receive the fullness of what he gave in return. It was never going to be reciprocated. That's the type of love that Jesus modeled for us. Since he loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other in that way. I wonder, do you love like that? Or is your love full of conditions, full of restrictions, full of pain? Do you cut it off when it's not reciprocated? I wonder, are there people in your life that will never see the love of Christ because you've stopped giving it to them? I wonder if there's people in your life that have abused your love so many times, that have not reciprocated your love so many times, and you've cut it off, and thus they can't see Jesus' love on display. The Bible says that we're never going to see God, but if we can love in this way, the, the love of God will become in full expression. I love what it says in 1 John four fifteen. He continues on and he says, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And he said, and they live in God. I love verse 16. He says, we know how much God loves us. Like scripture's so clear that God is our provider, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That Jesus will never fail you, that you could sin a thousand times and his forgiveness never runs out. His mercies are new every single day. This is the love of Jesus. It's a love that you can't earn, you couldn't deserve. If, even if you lived for a billion years over, you could never pay back the love of Jesus. This is the love that he gave for us. He said, we know the love. We know how much God loves us. And he says, and we have put our trust in that love. God is love. The love that the world knows, they don't know love because they don't know God. And God is love. And he said, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. In verse 17, and it says, and as they live in God, our love grows more perfect. I want to encourage some of you that might be early on in your stage. Maybe you haven't been following Christ for a long time. Maybe your understanding of God's love is only about this deep. The Bible says that as you live in the love that you know, that the love of God will continue to grow. And that although maybe you've only seen an expression of God's love that feels this deep, he says if you remain and you live in God, your, your capacity to know the love of God, your capacity to share the love of God will continue to increase. So much so that you can one day live in a way that shows the full measure of God's love to humanity. And he says... His love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. I don't know about you, but I want to live like Jesus. You know, I spent a, a big portion of my life confused, never connecting the dots. I thought that, that my ability to love God was proven in my church attendance. Anybody ever done that? It was proven in my ability to listen to podcasts during the middle of the week, right? Like I can, I can listen to the preacher on the weekend and then throughout my week I'm listening to other preachers. Man, I'm kicking butt. Right? Have you ever done that? 
It's contingent upon how much I worship and how much I move and how much I sweat and how much I yell. It's contingent upon my commitment to my life group. That shows it. Like my love for God is shown in the books that I read and the songs that I sing, the money that I give. The Bible never says any of that. Jesus says, listen, if you want to love me and you want to commit to me, you want to profess faith in me, you want to commit to my name, I need you to love. So your life group should point you in a direction of living a love like me. The books you read should point you in a direction of living a love like me. The the sermons and the church and the community that you have should point you into a direction of living a love like Jesus. If it's not happening in your life, The Bible says you're a liar. Friends, let that not be said of us. There's a world that is dying that has never experienced a love without conditions. They only know a transactional love and they're craving a love that's genuine and authentic. And for some people, the only way that they'll ever experience it is through you. Is your love full of conditions, full of restrictions? Or is it unconditional? Because we can only love people unconditionally because we were first loved unconditionally. Have you ever been afraid to love somebody? Like, you know in advance that the love's going to be squandered. Have you ever had that? Is it just me being a pastor? You've loved people, you've poured into people, and it's never been reciprocated. Here's why... Unconditional love is the only solution for life-giving relationships. There's people in your life that you're going to pour into. Then you're going to wait. And they ain't going to pour back into you. And so you're going to try to pour a little bit more, and then you're going to go, oh, now they're wasting it, right? I'm giving to them, and it's not reciprocating, and, and so much so they're wasting it. They're squandering my love. It's not worth it anymore. They're squandering the resources I'm pouring into them. It's not worth it anymore. They're squandering my time. I got better use of my time. They keep flushing my time down the toilet. I I, I ain't going to do that. That's not a bad investment. And now here I am depleted. Here I am pouring out. But I know I should love them, so I guess I'll I'll love them because Jesus loves them. And then they pour, and now they're wasting it again. And here I am depleted, even more depleted than I was before. And so you keep pouring out, you keep pouring out, you keep pouring out. Next thing you know, you have nothing left to give. This person wants my money, and I don't got any money left. This person wants my time, and I don't don't got time for that. This person wants my emotions, and I'm drained of emotions. I got nothing left to give. Here's why unconditional love is the only solution for life-giving relationships. When you are depleted, when you continue to pour out, and it's not being reciprocated. It will force you to run to Jesus to get what you could have never gotten from this relationship to begin with. And so here's what happens. You're depleted. You've poured. You've given all that you can. They've taken it. They've squandered it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the well that never runs dry. He's the well that is full of living water. And so when you pour out, he'll pour back in. When you pour out, he'll pour back in. And the Bible says when you pour out, When you give, he will give you so much more so that it's overflowing. The Bible says you cannot outgive God. And God loves a cheerful giver. So even though people don't reciprocate my love, I don't care because it makes Christ's love perfected. 
It shows the love that I've only received from Jesus Christ, and so I can pour until it's overflowing, knowing so much so that in due time, God is going to give me a return on everything that I've given away. Some of you have been withholding the love that you have from people because they haven't reciprocated. It doesn't seem like a good investment. It's not paying off. I don't see the change. I want to encourage you, continue to pour. There's some people in your life that will never see the unconditional love of God unless they see it in you. And there's a world that is craving a real love. And it breaks my heart because I want the church to be the body that shows the love of Jesus on display. But we've put dams in the middle of our flow. And some of you need to get your flow back. You need to love again. You need to give knowing that it's never going to get reciprocated. But knowing that every time you do that, you learn a little bit more about this love from Jesus that you've received when you didn't earn it. And that you'll never be able to give back to God what he's given to you. Some of you need to keep pouring. When we first received unconditional love, there needs to be no fear in the way that we give. Verse 18 says this. Such love, friends, has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Perfect love expels all fear. Some of you are so worried about the investment that you're giving. It's not worth my investment. I want to encourage you. The Bible says that you cannot outgive God. And so an investment of unconditional love always has a return. You will always get what you gave, and then some. Pressed down, shaken together. Therefore, when we love unconditionally, you have nothing to lose. For some of you, that'll set you free. I remember the first time that I really felt like I grabbed a hold of that. It set me so free. I, I can just love people. I don't have to love them based on their experiences. I don't have to love them based upon the way that they're going to receive it or based upon the way that they're going to change from my love. I just get to love them. And I leave the changing work of Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ saying, I do what I'm capable of and I'll let him do what he's capable of. You have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. I have a good friend of mine for an, an, uh, anonymous sake, or for the sake of keeping him anonymous, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him Mike. And I received a phone call a couple years ago from Mike's parents. And the phone kept ringing. It was about midnight, and I'm going, come on, snooze, snooze, snooze. I'm, I'm pushing him away to voicemail. And finally, I got enough phone calls that it got my attention. And I decided to pick up my phone, and, and someone on the other line was frantic. They were going, Pastor Ronnie, Pastor Ronnie, it's Mike's mom. It's Mike's mom. He's overdosed. I need you to come to the hospital. We don't know if he's going to make it. So my wife and I, we get ready and we shoot out the door and, and we run into the emergency room and the whole family's there and they're all weeping and they're all full of remorse and they're, they're shocked and they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if he's going to make it. And I walked into the, hotel, into the hospital room and he's all purple and blue from a heroin overdose. Looks like he's been suffocated, and he's got an oxygen tube in, and he's barely conscious. And my wife and I came in, and my heart just broke. And I prayed with him, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, Mike, 
your best days of your life. And the best days of your ministry are ahead. So keep going. Keep going. A couple months later, he got out of the hospital, went through rehab, and he started coming to church really faithfully. And every time I saw him, I looked him in the face and said, Mike, the best days of your life and the best days of your ministry are ahead, so keep going. And he'd come the next week, Mike, the best days of your life and the best days of your ministry are ahead of you, so keep going. You got it in you. Keep going. A couple months later, he relapsed, overdosed again. Went to go see him, Mike, the best days of your life and the best days of your ministry are ahead of you, so keep going. He got out of rehab again, came back to church, Mike, the best days of your life and ministry are ahead of you, so keep going. Mike relapsed again, and I got another frantic call from his parents, and they said, we're done He's blown our trust for the last time. He stole money from us. He, he, he's just betrayed us for the last time, and rightfully so. And so they kicked him out, and he called me, and he said, listen, I need a place to go. I need to go to rehab. Can I come, and I, can I stay with you? And ironically enough, how many of you know that sometimes our love is sacrificial? We're supposed, my wife and I are supposed to move to Texas the next day. Our house is packed up. We've put all the resources that we have in getting our house all finished up to sell it. And Mike said, can I come, and can I stay with you? And then can you bring me to rehab? So I, I lean to my wife, and I'm like, I feel like we're supposed to take him in. I feel like we're supposed to take him to rehab. And she goes, what are you, we're, we're leaving in the morning. Like we're getting out of, we're moving to a different state. Everything we own is in boxes. What are you thinking? But if you feel like God's saying that, let, let him come over. So we invited him. He came over. That night he ended up shooting up heroin in my bathroom. There's blood everywhere. Woke up the next morning, and I took him to rehab. He didn't have any money to his name, and his family was done. And they said, we, we're not paying a single dime. We, paid, we put him through rehab too many times. And so he said, Ronnie, what can you do? I need help. And I felt like the Lord just said, I want you to pay for him. And I'm going, God, I just put pretty much all the money I have into my house, getting it ready to sell. We're, we're moving tomorrow. I'm paying for rental trucks and moving company. So I called my wife. I'm like, baby, you'll never believe. I feel like God's telling us that we need to put him up in, in, in rehab. And it's a year-long program, and it's expensive. And she said, if God's telling you to do that, then we got to do it. And so we put him into this rehab program, and, and it's, he's seven months in, and now he's clean, and he's serving the Lord. I don't need applause for that, but here's, here's the reason why. When I visited Mike for the first time, I remembered me at 19 years of age. And I was addicted, and I was insecure, and I was broken. When I saw him laying in that bed, I remembered a moment where I was full of anxiety. I felt like I had wasted my life. I felt like I had blown my reputation. I felt like I had flushed everything down the toilet, and there's no way God could ever do through me what I wanted him to do through me. But when I looked at Mike, I just saw a picture of me. Because when I was 19, I felt like I had lost everything. But I just said, God, I give you control of my life. And in that moment, I felt like God said, Ronnie, the best days of your life, the best days of your ministry are ahead, so keep going.
to some of you, the world is just craving for you to demonstrate the love that you've received to yourself. I wasn't acting out of something that was foreign. I wasn't acting out of something that was far away. I was acting out of just something that I felt like I'd received myself. So I gave what I had. And I removed the conditions. Some of you need to give what you have and remove the conditions. Love must be unconditional if you want it to be life-giving. I love what Ephesians 5.1 says. This encapsulates what I got to see with my own eyes. He says, watch what God does. And then you do it. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. He says this, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and you'll learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. He was not cautious, but extravagant in love. He didn't love in order to get something from us. He gave everything of himself to us. And then he says, love like that. Live the love that Jesus gave to you because there's people in your life that will never get to experience the love of God. They'll never see God with their own eyes unless they see him through you. Guys, life-giving relationships is what it is all about. Jesus died to remove every single obstacle that we could encounter from experiencing the love of God so that we could turn around to a dead and dying world and show them a real love. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage us with something. Are you actively showing the love of God? Or are you robbing the world of experiencing it? Are there relationships in your life that God might bring to your mind even now that you need to reach back out? You need to send another text. You need to give another hug. You need to pay for another meal. What are the relationships in your life that you need to begin to remove the conditions? Because the only way that you're going to love like Christ is if you remove conditions. You remove the expectation of receiving fruit from your love that only you can get from God. And the freedom comes when we realize that in Christ, when we love unconditionally, we have nothing to lose. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to read this passage of scripture to paint us a picture of the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13:3 says, "So no matter what I say, what I believe, or what I do, I am bankrupt without love." He says, "Love it never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self." Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure 
and the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Anything. Trust God always. Always look for the best. Never look back. But it keeps going on to the end. Jesus, I just pray right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that some of us that have cut off the flow of our love because we've been hurt, because we've been discouraged, because we haven't received a reciprocation of the love that we have given, we haven't received a return on our investment. God, I pray that we'd get our flow back. I pray that we would love people more effectively. I pray that we would remove the conditions from our love. God, that there are people in our lives that need to see our love unconditionally on display. That there are people in our lives that may never see you if we don't love them with the love that you've shown to us. God, my prayer today is that we would live lives of unconditional love because we will never, never, never have life-giving relationships without unconditional love. And when we love unconditionally, because of you, Jesus, we have nothing to lose. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and everybody at Living Stones Church said, Amen. Amen.